Welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Christine Braid from Massey University and Linda Kempton, a literacy advocate. So Christine has a long background in both research and professional development in literacy. And I know both of you have been advocates through the years for structured literacy in New Zealand. But for a start, we should probably tell our listeners what structured literacy actually is. So Christine, perhaps we'll start with you on that one. Sure. Thanks, Michael. In fact, I guess the whole nature of this podcast might be to try and work out what that is, because various definitions are out there. And that's the difficulty with it. I know I go into schools and some people think it's when children are using decodable text and we'll call that structured literacy whereas others are talking about it as a more broad approach to their literacy. So I think, you know, there's the International Dyslexia Association definition, which I think Linda might take us through, perhaps, that idea of it being systematic and cumulative and explicit. So my definition, I guess, would be an intensive systematic teaching of foundational literacy skills. Right. And what are some of those skills? Ah, they would be your ability to with the alphabetic principle, which is the sound symbol, so phonics, and being able to use that phonics to read and write words or decode and spell. Then we'd add in some sentence structure knowledge and then using those skills to read and write texts and understand understand those texts, but really making sure that that foundation is right. And just to add to that, Michael, I think when I first started in this area of learning, which is probably about 10 years ago, so 30 years of my teaching career was not in this field. It was in the balanced literacy approach, whole language and balanced literacy. But when I first started with this, with the Massey University Research Project with James Chapman and Alison Arrow, and then moving on into work with teachers and schools, we weren't using the term structured literacy. We were just looking at a systematic approach to help ensure children had the foundation skills. Right. And so those foundation skills we would expect normally to be taught and mastered sequentially rather than all at once. Is that accurate? Yes, that's right. A scope and sequence that teachers would understand and teach sort of cumulatively along that scope and sequence. And it might include also higher level skills like comprehension and morphology. And and I guess that's the different, you know, defining these bits and making sure we know what all the bits are and what that means is important. Yes, I think for me, as a cognitive psychologist, I think about it in terms of the structure that children need to assimilate piece by piece in order to learn to read reliably and an especially important consideration in that for me is cognitive load that we don't overwhelm children with too much at once because it seems to me that that's where a lot of children not only in literacy but actually perhaps even more in mathematics start to struggle when they they experience cognitive overload which can be confusing and eventually demotivating. Sure. I mean, this isn't a cognitive unload, of course, this way of, of learning to read is quite a high cognitive demand. Oh, yes. yes. And so making sure the texts we ask the children to read are systematic and, and helping them to apply their skills. But also we need to be aware that sometimes those decodable texts, as they're known, actually have a need to be carefully used as well. The evidence behind when to use decodable text and when to release children into other sorts of texts is still ongoing. So right. and just... I like to look at it that, you know, we've got, we know a lot, 
but we also need teachers to think and be really aware of their learners. Obviously, teacher knowledge, we'll probably come back to that, but teacher knowledge is huge. But, you know, really, it's, it is also about teachers knowing their learners and knowing what's best there. And just to be clear for listeners, the decodable texts are ones oh, yeah. that that include only regularly spelled words so that the, the normal spelling to sound mappings are enough for children to be able to, to decode the words. Would you agree that's the, the right way to think about those, Christine? Yeah, surely um, along the scope and sequence, usually uh, rec- recommended about 80 to 90% because children still need to be able to be accumulating high-frequency words or irregular sight words and that extends the brain architecture just as you know importantly as well. So right. purely decodable texts are not possible they for don't one exist. thing. Right. So uh, and, I, and I guess on the other side of that is everything becomes a decodable text once you've got the skills. Sure, absolutely. Yes. So Linda, to turn to you, how would you define structured literacy? Perhaps using that American Dyslexia Association definition, which, which I think they've got some sort of a trademark on structured literacy. Is that right? Uh, Yes, they do. And it's interesting to note that there's someone trying to trademark the term in New Zealand currently as well. So there's a pending trademark for someone to own the term structured literacy in New Zealand at the moment. So that's that's something that's going to be worth watching and keeping an eye on. The fact that it is trademarked has caused people quite a bit of worry. Some people don't seem to be bothered by the fact that it is. A lot of people don't actually know it's even trademarked. So it's something I think we need to be careful about. So in overseas um, governments, they haven't adopted the term, not that I've been able to find, none of them appear to have adopted their term structured literacy to refer to adopting the science of reading approach or approaches based on the science of reading. They've come up with their own terms like building blocks or science of reading or systematic synthetic systematic works. So it's interesting that New Zealand has chosen to go with a term that is trademarked. And the Ministry of Education here has already expressed concern about the fact that it's trademarked and prefers to use the phrase structured approach to literacy. Right. To avoid that. Yeah, to avoid that issue. That that may turn out to be the sensible thing for whoever the minister is to adopt to to actually avoid using terms that might have commercial implications or or that I guess what concerns me a little, and I'd be interested to get both of your views on this, that we'll get too doctrinaire about what structured literacy is. Is that a concern for you, Linda? Uh, yes, it is, because we've already seen it happening here in New Zealand quite a lot. So I'm very familiar. What, what happens in some um, high-profile advocacy groups already in New Zealand is they're using the IDA, so the International Dyslexia Association, version of structured literacy as a checklist. So if a program can check all those boxes, it's in, it's great, they'll advocate for it. If it doesn't, it's out and it gets attacked. And that's a real concern for me, actually, because even if it's consistent with the science and it has strong evidence that it works well, it can still be relegated to the no pile because it hasn't ticked the right boxes. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a concern there about an overly regimented approach to this. Do you share those concerns, Christine? Yes, I think it's been something quite confusing for teachers, and we certainly don't want to add to any of that confusion. This is about making sure we're teaching the best we can. Certainly, we need a change in the way we're teaching children to read and write. But some of the things that we've used in literacy have not been bad things. And so I like to say we need to change. Yes, we need some of the essence of this change, but we don't need to change everything. And so when we we look at structured literacy, you know, how encompassing of the whole program is it? Is it one particular part of the program? 
And so some of those, if we don't get those definitions right, or if we have them too tight, we might miss some of the extensive immersion in literacy that's also really important. Right. And it it seems to me that there's also a kind of pragmatic issue, which is that if we're going to shift as quickly as we can to avoid ongoing problems with literacy teaching in this country, we're going to have to take a fairly broad view of things so that we can train all of the teachers who haven't yet got those skills to be able to do it in a timely way. And I don't know how many professional development providers there are out there, but they're going to have their work cut out, aren't they? I work with teachers, you know, on the daily by growing teacher knowledge. And there are a number of ways to do that, starting obviously at teacher training, but we can grow teacher knowledge and add that to already good pedagogy and then make a change in that way. If we provide teachers with the right resources, as the ministry is doing with decodable texts and sound cards, but also the right assessments, I think the assessment might be the really important part of this puzzle too, because if you have some good assessments that say these are the knowledge and skills children need by one year at school, two years at school, then teachers have got that as a a bench, let's call it a benchmark, but as a, a line in the sand or a litmus, a litmus might be a nicer idea of how their teaching's going. So I I think it's possible. I, I guess I'm an optimist in that what I've seen is that once teachers get their teeth into this knowledge, they just want to do it as long as they're well supported. So when it comes to professional development for teachers, what in your each of your views is the right approach? I I mean it seems to me that really rather than insisting on, you know, as you put it, Linda, ticking all the boxes it's much better if they understand the broad principles and the the philosophy of the approach, as well as, you know, not every detail of the research, but enough of the research behind it so that they can see why this works. So some of the kind of cognitive theory, not in overwhelming depth, but enough so that they can apply that research in their practice. And then we perhaps needn't worry too much about whether it's this scope and sequence or that scope and sequence and so on. Linda, what's your take on that? Now, I'm very much in agreement with um, Chris on this, that the key is to give the teachers that knowledge so they can make those decisions for themselves as practitioners once they get out there. And as the science shifts, they've got that basis that they can pull back on to make the right decisions. Yeah, I'm worried that if we take a solely professional development approach right now, rather than a teacher training, initial teacher training approach, that we're going to have a lot of issues coming in. Because what's happening at the moment that I hear back from people at the professional development level is they're doing the training and then they're trying to implement it very soon in the classroom afterwards. And there's quite a bit of confusion about how to implement it. And sometimes this leads to poor results than they could have otherwise got. And so I'm sort of worried that we're not giving teachers enough time to really absorb and understand this before they've been expected to implement it. So I think a lot of attention needs to go back to initial teacher training rather than hoping that professional development will fill all these gaps. Right. I mean, certainly in the medium term, that seems quite obvious. If we want our teachers to be using structured literacy, it needs to be in their initial training. I suppose until that's in place and for some time to come, there'll be a lot of teachers who haven't been trained initially to use a structured approach. And so surely some professional development will be necessary for the sake of teachers who have already got their qualifications and they're out there practicing, but they don't yet know how to use this new approach. Yes, that's right. It's a dual role between the initial teacher education and the school. But then in my role with working with schools and professional development, you make a good point. There aren't probably enough to go all the way around at the moment. 
But if we ensure that teachers understand how the code of print works, because that's part of the bit that's been missing, it was missing for me, and then tied in with that is, I guess it's what not to do. There's, I like to say, well, I don't know whether I like to say, but there's one hill I will die on. And that is that we can't have children looking at the first letter, looking at the picture and thinking what the word might be, right. known as the three cues. But that children need that really strong phonics knowledge in order to be able to process the word as much as possible left to right and then bring the meaning in after that. So in a way, it's not so much what needs to be in structured literacy, but the really big difference for me is the way children approach the reading task, that it's approached through strength with a phonics knowledge, and this is real Māori or English, and strength with that print, and then bring in your meaning and everything from there. So it's not an either or, but it is a first and foremost, because what happens if children don't do that? is that they compensate with their meaning. And that means they won't look really closely at the word. And if we're not looking really closely, then our brain's not mapping that word. And what we're trying to get is for the brain to just be seeking those patterns and be able to process them really quickly. So coming back to, you know, when we've got the right resources, which is in first instance, decodable text for as long as children need them and some good phonics knowledge. And a lot of teachers have, have, you know, done some phonics training with either Jolly Phonics or Yolanda Sorrel Phonics. So it's like bringing that knowledge into the text that we've now got, because we used to have this phonics knowledge and then we tried to apply it to books that weren't controlled enough. So I feel as if, you know, we can do probably some opportunity costs, some bang for buck teaching with teachers if we we really upskill in that phonics knowledge and then say, you know, you're the teacher, you know, we know what to do. It's just teaching now. Yes, I tend to agree. I mean, that's the solid foundation of it all. I know there's much more to structured literacy than phonics. And, yeah. and sometimes, you know, the way it's talked about is that it's all phonics. But that is the foundation, isn't it? And, and I think, I, I mean, observing my own children learning to read and once they get that, they seem to make progress quite well. You know, to come back to your point about those different cues, I mean, that was quite a, a big moment for me when I realised that that was what was going on. And it seemed obvious that that was going to result in cognitive overload, that we're asking them to process three different kinds of information at once, which is why that whole idea of balance is really a spurious one, it seems to me. that It sounds good, doesn't it? Why wouldn't you use all these different cues and then you'd be able to draw on different sources of information? But actually, that's a recipe for overwhelming the child cognitively. And I think it's... Uh, yeah, and not really laying down those word patterns. I yeah. think that's the key for me when I read that every time a child doesn't look closely at a word, they lose, they've lost an opportunity to map it. And that hit me like a kind of bricks, that one. I think it's Professor James Chapman who said that that's like... You're teaching them to read like a struggling reader when you do that. Mm -hmm. And I know I know for me, you know, it's been a really hard move. I call it unstitching my teaching DNA because it makes intuitive sense that you would use all those things. As a capable reader, we think that's what we're doing. But as a capable reader, we've got good readers can read words. They read words really quickly. Yes. They bring in their meaning and things for other purpose. I think it also gets mixed up with Oh, we have to use meaning because that's the outcome of reading, which it is. But using meaning as a cue source is different from having meaning as an outcome. And I think there's a little bit of, you know, we just need to get over ourselves with that one. 
Yes, well, much less, you know, thinking critically about what you're reading before you can decode the words and so on. Well, we can think critically about stuff the teachers read to us. You know, I can get children thinking critically at five when I'm reading a gorgeous picture book to them. So it doesn't mean that we're not doing that. And that point there, I think, is really important, Michael, because if we've got structured literacy, is that going to include those high-level picture book and discussions that we're doing with children? I note that it, it may do. But it feels as if structured literacy is trying to be the whole program, whereas I like your word of balance. Isn't it a shame it's not a good word? But if we had an intensive systematic approach to the foundation skills and then an extensive immersion and discussion of spoken language and, and you know books, you know, to me, we'd have that what Dijkstra calls the interface of implicit and explicit. Absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why I think that it's important for teachers to understand that broader context of things like cognitive load so that they can see that, yes, I mean, it's great to read them picture books and to have rich discussions about them. But then at the very start, when they're the children themselves are learning to read, that's going to take all their cognitive resources for a while. For sure. And you can't understand something that you haven't been able to decode in the first instance. Right. So it's it's the building block. So to come back, Linda, to the question of initial teacher education, do you know how many of our initial teacher education programs at this stage are using a structured approach or new teachers? No, I don't know. That would be a great question for Christine to answer. It's a tricky one. I think one of the big problems has been the, you know, going to the one year training. So it's been, I know at Massey, we used to have a four-year program and we used to very much include the science of reading in that. And then what would happen, our our students would go out into schools and the schools didn't know about it. Mm. So what I talked about before, about this being a dual role between the institutes of education and the school is, is that, you know, what we teach the teachers to the training teachers has to then be sort of seen and fostered in the classrooms. And we haven't really had that opportunity until just recently. And now I guess we've got more of that. The schools themselves have taken on structured literacy, whatever we're going to call it, the structured approach. And the, the students aren't getting the science of reading background. So if we, I don't think the Institute of Education necessarily needs to teach structured literacy. I think it needs to teach a very strong basis of the science of reading, including how the, how the code works. And then how that's implemented into a program or a classroom is the magic of is what happens in practice. So one question that I've been grappling with, and I'd be interested in, in your thoughts, is how an incoming minister might approach initial teacher education and getting structured literacy embedded. Because, of course, the universities are independent organisations and Ministers don't have any direct jurisdiction over their programs. And I think that's probably embedded in the Education Act in academic freedom stipulations. So how might we approach that as a country or or what advice would you give to an incoming minister about how to handle that? I have an initial thought on this one, which has been bothering me for a little bit, is if we're going to mandate it, right, which which National wants, so they need to be very clear about what they mean by that, obviously. And right now, they're really not. And this has become a big issue for me lately. People are talking at cross purposes. So for most of this discussion that we've had, in fact, I'll pretty much say all of this whole discussion, it's been assumed that we're talking about structured literacy to mean the science of reading, right? Um, Yeah, that's not the meaning that most advocacy groups in New Zealand have actually taken it to mean. 
So when National says it wants to mandate this, however that might look at initial teacher training or professional development level, we need to start with a really clear definition of what we actually mean, and we're not there yet. I have written to National a couple of times to actually get a clear response to this, and I haven't had a response. So I'd start there with a real a bit of clarity about what it's And so how, how would you distinguish those two terms, structured literacy and science of reading? How would you explain it in, in an elevator to a teacher who was interested in what that meant, that difference? Well, officially, the IDA interpretation is meant to be built on the science of reading, right? But when you get out there and you talk to people about what they actually think it means, and I ran a survey on this not long ago to see the variety of meanings people are using here. A lot of people are using science of reading and structured literacy to be synonymous, right? So they just use it to refer to the science of reading. Then you've got those who are only using the term to refer to the IDA's interpretation, and that in itself is also not clear. So what I found, and there was a recent video about this from a literacy consultant in New Zealand, they were saying, yes, structured literacy means the IDA's specific interpretation, but, and they go through the graphic from the IDA and they say, this means this to me, this means this to me. Now, that's completely different from what other people take it to mean. They look at the KPS, which is the Knowledge and Practice Standards, and they say you have to read that and implement that if you're going to be using structured literacy, which is in direct contradiction. I can see teachers getting very confused about this if we're not careful. Uh I think, how would you actually explain it very simply to a teacher what the difference is between structured literacy, which is what we're asking them to do, and the science Mm -hmm. of reading? Is it as simple as saying that the science of reading gives us the theoretical basis and structured literacy is the practice? Is that a reasonable way to think about it? That is one way to think about it. That sounds very reasonable, and that is absolutely how some people think about it. Mm. So that's what I'm trying to say, though. If we can say that and we can agree on that, that's a starting point. But I guarantee you there are people out there who will argue with you on what you've just said as well. I see. What's your view on this, Christine? I've always seen it as the science of reading in other studies and not set in concrete, but, you know, certain things are, are settled but that science as sciences and research as researchers is always adding. And it doesn't tell us exactly what to do in the classroom. It doesn't tell us how much phonological awareness is needed to be taught explicitly or how long children need decodable text right. for. So those practical outworkings, the instructional studies, if you like, seem to be fewer than the science of reading studies. And that's why I say it's really important that we give teachers the science of reading knowledge plus the phonics understanding of English code because that's what helped me become a better teacher for all of this. And then, you know, teachers know how to teach as long as you, you know how to explicitly teach once you've got that knowledge. So if we can bring together that knowledge plus teachers' ability to take something hard and explicitly teach it to children then it's not you know, set in stone as a particular way of doing things. It's more at the outworking of the science of reading. I mean, it seems to me that any doctrinaire approach is doomed, really, because teachers will deviate from it, <laughs> because teachers do. And, and so they should, because they have to adapt things a bit for their situations. Each class is different and has different children with different needs. And a doctrinaire approach is never going to wash, is it? Especially in the flexible environment of New Zealand classrooms. Yeah, that's true. I think coming back to your point about confusing, I mean, if there's any teachers listening, apologies for any confusions, but I think it can be confusing when something's new. And I think what we don't want to do is make teachers think it's a mystery. Yes. Because 
then all the power is with the people like me. And, and I don't think that's fair because teachers have got a lot of knowledge and expertise. So if we try and break this down so that it's not simplistic, because that's a problem, but that it's straightforward, that we're giving teachers a straightforward approach. So my, my advice to the minister would be, you know, how can we make this as straightforward as possible for both teachers and teachers, in my experience, is that they are wanting this. And then the first one of the first questions I get asked when I go and deliver this sort of work is, are they teaching this in universities yet? So teachers can see that that's where it's needed. So for, I'm not sure how, but somehow we need to help. I know I work with my colleagues, you know, they want this for their teachers, uh, for their trainees. So, you know, I think we're getting there. I'm not sure how the minister's going to approach it, but we're happy to talk. Yes, I must say I wrestle a lot with the puzzle of the universities. As I think you probably know, I supervised Dr. Helen Wall's PhD, and we certainly had some struggles internally with her approach because it didn't agree with some of the literacy people in education there. So I do think that there are some hurdles to overcome with getting this into teacher training. And I think an incoming minister would benefit greatly from a, a conversation with you both. And we've heard your advice, Christine. Linda, we'll finish perhaps with your advice for the incoming minister. What would you say in you know a few sentences to set her or him straight on whatever is required? Okay, I'll, I'll return to that initial point that they need to get a really clear definition of what they're actually intending out there so everyone can be united in the language that we're using and the direction that we're going. I think that's an excellent starting point. And then, of course, the discussion that's happened so far about trying to, well, you've got to get the teachers on board, right? So maybe don't go incredibly quickly, even though there's urgency out there for change. Get the teachers on board, make sure the knowledge is there and they understand why this is important, and they don't just feel like they've been forced to it or, or mandated. I mean, that is the word, but mandated into this, that you actually get their buy-in. So I'm already seeing some pushback out there just because it is mandated, and that's unfortunate. I don't think that's necessary. I think if we just slow down a little bit, get our definitions clear, explain to them why this is necessary, get them on board, focus on teacher knowledge. I think that's what needs to be focused on from the government's point of view. Well, that's very good advice, it seems to me, from both of you, and... Hopefully, whoever the next Minister of Education is may even listen to this podcast. So thank you both very much for joining us today. And we'll look forward to seeing what happens in the next months and year or so in this very, very important space. This is the New Zealand Initiative podcast, and we'll uh, see you next time. <laughs>